Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I am Curtis Wilde, and I am your host for Next Gen Dems. I am an elected DNC member. I am also on the uh, state committee, the county committee, and I am a candidate running in House District 107 right here in Missouri. I am here today with Katie Geppert, and she is running for Congress in the 3rd Congressional District. Katie, say hi. Hi, everybody. Let's uh, hear a little bit more about you. Let's hear about your background. I hear you're a scientist. Tell me about that. I am. I, I have a master's degree and a bachelor's degree in chemistry. Um, my master's came from St. Louis University, and my bachelor's came from Quincy University in Quincy, Illinois. So shout out to any hawks out there listening, and billikins as well. And pelicans. And billikins, yes. Billikins. Yes. Go Bills. What is a billikin? It is like a... It's an evil-looking little creature. It, it, it is. It's, it's sort of like a gargoyle, mythical creature type mm. type of thing. Um, unfortunately, I spend a lot of time in the classroom and not really getting up on my background on mascots. But <laughs> but uh, so I hope that, um, and I'm sure we'll get comments like for anybody who doesn't, for anybody who's listening who's a billikin and knows exactly what it is. I'm sure there'll be comments and the, uh, shout out. Let yeah, us please know what let a us know. Educate is. us. Tell us exactly what a billikin <laughs> is. Um, and, and we may just have a billikin on the show at some point. Yes. Um, well, we yeah. do have a billikin on the show. Yes. Right now. Yes. Look at this. See, that's how quick it happens right here at Next Gen Dems. Um, so from, from your background, from getting involved in the scientific community to politics, how do you make that step? Well, part of my job is to troubleshoot and uh, solve problems on a daily basis. So... I mean, really, I've been training for this for the last 20 or so years since uh, I started high school and started on a STEM track in high school where we learned how to essentially solve problems. And um, uh, looking at a lot of the problems that we face today in the country, uh, I really started thinking, you know what, I, I have a background on this. I have research experience. I can find the data and I can find a solution for a lot of these problems. And, and it's not just me. It's, I'm looking forward to collaborating with a lot of people uh, in the House when I get there, uh, both Democrats and Republicans, because we, we need to include uh, Republicans at the table, too. I know a lot of people are not going to be in favor of that, since a lot of Republicans have kept us at arm's length for a while. But I, I really think that if we are going to make progress and uh, we're going to come up with solutions that are going to be uh, amenable to the majority of the population, we're going to have to work together uh, to to fix what what the problems we have. Absolutely. Well, that's the greatest thing about this country is that there are so many differing beliefs and opinions, and uh, we're all in this together. And the quicker that we realize that and we work towards uh, real tangible change, uh, the quicker we're going to see it. Yeah, absolutely. And I really think uh, that one of the things that I think a lot of people are really yearning for is. Um, a phrase that I've heard uttered, I, I don't know who originally said it, but one phrase that I've heard uttered a lot lately, and even going back to the 2016 presidential campaign, is that, yes, there's a lot of mudslinging going on, but let's remember, we don't have to agree on anything to be kind to one another. And that's, that's something I really take to heart when, um, when I'm getting asked questions about what are you going to do for, if Republicans are, are mean to you, or, or if, if someone's... Uh, just gets really up in your face, and and I'm just I just have to remind myself, you know, we don't have to agree on anything just to be kind to one another, and and I think the example of that, which going back to um, 
one of the presidential debates back in 2016. I think it was the one that was held at WashU here in St. Louis where one of the last questions or the last question that one of the town hall participants was able to ask was uh, they asked each candidate to say something nice about the other candidate. And I just remember that blowing up on Facebook and other social media because people were just so tired of hearing so much negative press about each other and it's gotten so bad that it's everything is so negative that we just feel like there's nothing that's being done. Yeah. Well, now they call it taking the high road, or they say when they go low, we go high. Yeah. Um, When I was a kid, my dad always taught me that that was killing them with kindness. Yes. You kill them with kindness. Absolutely. Um, Because, you know, if you stay nice, if you stay kind and empathetic, sympathetic, uh, you are on the high road. Yes. You're on the winning track, regardless of if anybody's an objectionable viewer to to that situation. Um, So... Tell us about some of the issues that are important to you. Obviously science, obviously education, I would assume. Yes, absolutely. I I really think that there is an attack on science and fact in this country. Um, Just the fact that the CDC can't use certain terminology um, when coming up coming with their conclusions on particular on particular studies and issues. Some people, some of the viewers, some of the listeners may not know exactly what you're talking about. It, it illuminate, uh, illuminate that for them. I believe it came from the Trump administration that... It definitely came from the Trump yes, administration. That the, um, anybody at the CDC, when they're writing up reports, cannot use... I want to say there was about a dozen terms, and, and I think it has, I can't remember specifically what those terms were. Uh, Christy, you want to pull up those terms while we're sitting here? Uh, yeah, and, and can so. Can you remember a few of them? I think it had to, it was um, transgender, um, climate based, ba- uh, science based, fact based. Fact based. Um, She's going to oh, look gosh. it up. Oh, gosh. Okay, yes, because I'm totally we'll, blanking we'll move on those on, particular. But, but Chrissy's going to come in. Yeah, with and, the, and so and so, I really think that focusing on a really good science-based education um, in in schools is going to be really, really important um, to make sure that the next generation of students coming up are able to uh, be the next generation of problem solvers. And we have to give them the tools for that. Absolutely, happen. absolutely. And just education in general, um, the defunding of our education in this country has just been terrible over the last 20 years. Um, I was talking with some students and teachers the other day where they were talking about how um, just to do extracurricular activities at school, they have to pay extra for that. Um, when I went to school, I, I was involved in all sorts of activities. I was on math club. I was in band. I played softball. We <clears throat> Extracurriculars me. were kind of considered almost a requirement. Oh, yeah. You, you just did those things. Right. And, but I don't ever remember having to pay anything to join a club or, or anything like that. I mean, I remember sometimes we fundraised because we wanted to do something a little extra that wasn't necessarily always in the budget. A field trip. Yeah, but but that was something that if it was outside of the budget, yes, you were expected to do that. But just the general planned activities for, for school or for any extracurricular activities, that was usually budgeted within... Um, within the uh, the district, and I've been told that a lot of districts, you know, they have the money to send students to whatever activity it is on on the bus, but they don't have the money to have the buses bring them back to the school. So they're they're basically requiring the parents to come pick them up from wherever it is that they are uh, that they're attending and or or 
participating in and uh so they only pay for half a field trip sometimes like that yeah and so and so it's stuff like that that really gets me that i i want to make sure that we really do have um we're properly funding uh our education so that the kids have the opportunities that i had i mean my life was very enriched by all of the activities that i was able to participate in yeah well tell us a little bit about your your uh early life and Sure. Yeah. So I I grew up in um, rural slash sort of suburban uh, Illinois, southern Illinois. Um, I grew up in uh, Bond County, Illinois. Uh, So not everybody knows uh, exactly where that is. But if you take 70 Highway 70 East into Illinois, it's about 40 miles. Uh, into Illinois, Greenville, Illinois, Pocahontas, gotcha. uh, Millersburg so was the name of the town. So you weren't too far from, uh, is it Blue Sky Cafe, home of the Mile High Pies? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I see that billboard all the time. And uh, um, I don't I don't remember it actually being, I think it was a Stuckey's for a long time when I was still living there. But, but yeah, the Blue Sky Cafe is definitely still there, Mile High Pies. Mm-hmm. And... Um, they're actually only about six or eight inches, but it's enough. <laughs> it's plenty. Yes. But today we are broadcasting, we are uh, recording live uh, during business hours at Rendezvous Cafe and Wine Bar right here at 217 South Main Street. They've got phenomenal wine, they've got phenomenal coffee, uh, and, and awesome hot chocolate, some great food and all that good stuff. But uh it, we are right in the process of making a mess here. If you were watching the video, you just saw me splash my coffee all over the place trying to get this list from my wife on the things that is not allowed to be said, the things that are not allowed to be said now, um, from the CDC, the Center of Disease Control and Prevention can no longer use the terms vulnerable, entitlement, diversity, transgender, fetus, evidence-based, or science-based. They can no longer use those terms. Um, So that's absolutely appalling. It is appalling because in my training as a scientist, we have have rules and regulations based around how you perform experiments and, and basically they're considered ethics. So there are rules around that, but when you are the one who is coming up with the conclusions and writing your reports, that's completely within your right as a scientist to make sure that you are representing the data the best way that you possibly can. And when you start restricting the the type of terminology that you're able to use, you're not going to be well, able what to. What to the First Amendment? Oh, there. I mean, it, shouldn't you? Be? I know. Come on I, now. Well, it's, it's the government restricting ridiculous. another government entity. It's in a, a, a way, government so. entity that is solely based to protect us. The yeah. Center for Disease Control oh. and Prevention. Prevention. And their, their First Amendment is being limited, plain and simple. Uh, there's really no other way to look at that. So yeah. how do we battle that? Uh, well, we work to vote in um, the people like myself who want to make sure that we have the right Damn policies me. in place to... And Curtis, and Curtis, yes. <laughs> uh, to make sure that there are policies in place that... Um, we're there to support those departments in our government that are there to benefit the people so uh, and make sure that they're properly funded so that they have the right amount of staff to um, like when we have like this like Zika like when Zika started to show I mean we knew about it down in South America and Central America but when we started to see it in the United States um, 
a lot of people I don't think were really truly prepared for that. And so in terms of being able to express what's actually happening, how to prevent um, transmission and all of that type of stuff, uh, if we don't really have a good grasp on how we keep it contained and keep people from from uh, contracting. contracting it, thank you, then then the CDC is not is not really doing their job, and maybe they're not doing their job because th they just don't have the staff to do the research. So mm. I, I, it's I think it's really important. And that, that comes we, back to money too. It comes so, back to money too. So, so now these money issues are <laughs> affecting our uh, the scientific community. They're affecting our educational system. Um, what do we do to get more money back into the American people's hands? Obviously, giving away $1.4 trillion was a complete flop. We gave it away to multinational corporations and, and billionaires. Uh, yeah, well, and, and I and just... so far, nobody out here that I, I've been talking to has seen that show up in their checks. As a matter of fact, some people are actually getting paid less now. Right, so I... I just checked, actually, my paycheck this morning, and while I noticed that my taxes went down, uh, my the amount I'm actually paying towards the federal government, um, my Missouri income tax went up a little bit, but also just my, my general, my take-home pay was decreased as well. So I'm not really seeing the benefits from that tax plan that, that the Republicans were touting. But I, I also think one way that we can um, maybe... <clears throat> Excuse me. That we can properly, we can start properly funding our our education system and other uh, government entities that really need uh, proper funding to do their job effectively, is to raise the wage. We are we really have to start um, at least with the twelve dollar an hour minimum wage. I know a lot of people are are pushing for fifteen. Um, and the, the twelve seems to have teeth, and we'll take whatever we get yeah, at, no, at this moment. Seriously, and and I think fifteen is a is a certainly a noble goal to work for. Um, but it, whatever kind of a minimum wage. Do you wage realize that, that if we stayed indexed to uh, productivity and inflation, that minimum wage would be about twenty one seventy four an hour? Oh right yeah, now? close to twenty two dollars an hour is what minimum wage should be mm -hmm. if it had went up with everything else. Yes, and and so that's why it's so important that if we need to start raising the minimum wage and that will help push for um, all wages to grow as well as uh, pushing and fighting for everyone to be able to collectively bargain and be represented by a union. Um, because the more money that people make, even if their tax, the percentage of taxes that they pay doesn't go up, that's still overall, that's more money that's uh, going to be uh, thrown in into, the into the into the economy, um, and and go to uh, you know uh, the tax base is just going to grow and and, and we'll, we'll have some people don't understand how unions help that, uh, but they don't understand when uh, you say things like rising tides raise all boats. Uh, the unions are the rising tide. Yes, if they can negotiate more money, there's going to be uh, more money. For everyone and at wages underneath them and even non-union jobs will go up yes because th that because then the non-union um, type of jobs and the non-union employers realize oh well we better start paying our non-union employees a more competitive wage or that they're we can go to the union. or they're gonna go to the union so yeah. uh, so that has that's been a historical trend that we've seen um, over the years, but then with the decline in a lot of the unions, where a lot of the larger corporations are busting the unions, um, we start. that's when we start seeing the, the wage stagnation. And that's exactly why they bust the unions, yes. in order to take the collective power away from the people. Yes. There's no other real way to look at it. Oh, yeah. 
and we, we have to start putting more collective bargaining power in the back in the hands of the employees. There's Absolutely. there's no doubt in my mind. So what are some of the industries of the future that you see coming up that, that are going to create those jobs and going to create uh, good pay, livable wage, uh, and a great place for unions to thrive? Well, I, I really think that um, the medical field is going to start growing. I mean, with, with the population growing as much as as it is, uh, I really think healthcare is is a big area where we're going to see a lot of a lot of need in the future. Um, and I really think that if we can figure out a service union like the Service Employees International Union, um, if they can shout out, what's up? Yes. <laughs> if we can figure out how to work with them, they're, they're uh, actually having a, a big issue, and I, I'd like to uh, throw a quick shout out for them. They're standing up against the uh, Christian Church Home or Christian care home in Ferguson um, yeah. in Ferguson and if anybody's listening or watching if you can get out there and stand with the service employees international union uh, against union busting and stand for the the working man and the working people of uh, Missouri um, please do so because they're out there every day so well, I, I went get by some more people out there with them. Before I went to Jeff City yesterday to file, I stopped by because that was the first morning I was actually had a chance to swing by. I brought them some donuts. Cool. Um, some, I'm like, you guys need sustenance for your for your fight. But uh, you don't realize how much those people appreciate that. Well, and can I just say too that how much I appreciate them, uh, them because yeah. um, I, I've had loved ones who have been in nursing homes, who've been in assisted living homes, or have just needed. Uh, help at home to, to stay more independent and um, without their help the quality of life for for like my dad and my my mother-in-law who unfortunately aren't with us anymore but their quality of life increased because those uh, those people um, were fought able for fought for it and and they love what they do they yeah. I mean they love caring for these people yeah. but we have to make sure that they are taken they're care, they're taken care of as well yeah. because if they can't care for themselves it's really hard for them to take care of our loved ones it's the whole whole idea of you got to take care of number one mm-hmm. or, or number one can't take care of everybody else you, exactly. know, you have to take care of yourself or there's not a whole lot you can do for other people and, and that's exactly what we have to do with these employees we have to make sure that they're well taken care of they've got good pay good benefits and then they'll be able to successfully take care of other people um but with that are you involved in a union no i have never actually um had a position where i've been able to actually join a union see i'm not either i am not involved in the union and and i think there's something to be said about people who are not uh union members union dues paying members um that are fighting for the the betterment of the unions because uh, a lot of people have asked me you're not in a union why are you so pro-union and it boils down to a real simple fact for me it's if everybody else has more money they can afford my services that's my selfish little dark secret (laughs) is that i want everyone to have more money and i know that the power is in the hands of the people and unions provide that well, uh, I mean, I have never directly been able to join a union, but both of my parents were in unions. Mm-hmm. So my dad... My wife's dad was in a union. Yes, my father, he was in uh, Communication Workers of America, uh, the local chapter in St. Louis. I'm sorry. CWA. CWA. Sorry, I don't know the actual local number. I apologize. Um, but we'll shout out to Joe Clentz. Yes. And my mom uh, is a retired teacher. She was part of Missouri NEA. And so I, I just looked to those two examples of how much... The fact that they were in unions, they had steady income, they had steady jobs, and how that contributed to the fact that I was able to have a 
pretty much a happy, stable childhood. And, and so that afforded me a pretty decent middle-class upbringing where I was able to go to halfway decent public school. Um, I, I didn't have to work until I was really like 18. I, I, I should have worked. I still don't understand why my parents didn't like the second I turned 16, didn't make me get a job. But my first job was at 14 detasseling corn. Yeah. So I, <laughs> I, but I started working, um, when I was 18 and, uh, other than doing, you know, babysitting jobs mm-hmm. or helping That's the, helping work. the, well, That's right. Work. But you know, it's not full time and, and helping the neighbors out with, you know, doing like raking leaves and yeah. cleaning the house and stuff like that. But, but it wasn't a, you a were study. You a typical white girl thing, experiencing your white privilege. Yes, exactly. Yeah. 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 And, and so I just, that's one of the reasons why I, I'm, I'm really in favor of unions because I know that I wouldn't have had such a good start if my parents had not been able to um, have those, like I said, steady, steady income and stable, stable jobs. Yeah. And I really did learn the value of unions when um, back in January of 2016, I was laid off from my job. Um, I was eight and a half months pregnant. Ooh, and no yeah, and th- uh, there was, it was it's a lot. Lar- amazing how people are willing to do that. Yeah. Well, it was a very large layoff within the company, so I, I kind of got uh, looped, in. looped in with all yeah. of those. Seventy percent of my department got let go, and, and but there was really no no discourse, no legal discourse for me. I I, I really learned that yeah, as as a right, non union right. employee with no real bargaining rights, I don't really have any options other than to just take it and try to figure out how to find another job. My wife and, is a massage therapist, and uh, she was fired from a local high-end spa, Ameristar. Um, <laughs> our, uh, uh, what am I saying? Oh, yes, at seven and a half months pregnant. Yeah. Um, and they tried to, to play it off like there was another reason, but yeah. I think we all knew the reason. Yeah, well, I, it, like with my situation, it was going to be really hard to, to prove because um, at least my direct manager was very flexible and... Uh, amenable to whatever it is I needed during my pregnancy, but, um, but yeah, just the fact that trying like once I was let go. So he played enough nice guy to get away with it. When it yeah, came yeah, down yeah, the, and the hammer fell. Oh yeah, and and he was trying to help me as much as he could. Um, afterwards, he's like, I don't have a whole lot of power, but if you need me for whatever you need me reference. for reference or anything that I can do to help you try to navigate what your benefits still are, what what your options still are, just let me know. And and. He, but he wasn't able to do much of anything um, because he's not in a union and he doesn't have much power either. So it, it was just, it was a really eye-opening experience um, and really made me start thinking that, all right, yeah, there's no union yet, but let's try and figure out a way to make one. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, um, since we touched on it, uh, and tell me a little bit about how someone that came from your background, and, and I have uh, this issue too, and I've had to ask, answer this question many times, but someone who came from your background, more of a, uh, as we said earlier, a little white privilege. Yeah. Um, how can someone uh, from your background be empathetic um, to people of color and their their problems and issues? Um, well, it, it helps being a woman who's been stepped on a, a little bit by society. I mean, let's, let's be honest there, but um, it's also... Uh, paying attention to what's happening in in the world uh, in Ferguson that was a big eye opener. I know Isn't that's such a. I know paying <laughs> that's attention. That's such a powerful thing. It is, and and seeing like, well, wait a second, that's totally unfair, and deciding that okay, yeah, recognizing okay, I have a lot more privilege than I thought I did. Yeah. 
let me see but if that's I can an use evolution that we as white people have to come to. We do, They're and like, wow, and yeah. and see, I mean, just hearing we have the person more privileged just because of our skin tone. Yes, we do. Yeah, and and just hearing the stories of the people who are um, who who just get pulled over for racial profiling for have you know, you driving while for black. Have you ever your life at a traffic stop? No, I have. I have never. Yeah. No, and and I hope I never will, yeah. honestly. But I, I'm also interested in making sure that no one else has to fear for their life exactly at a traffic right. stop. And, and so I, I think just over the course of the last few years, uh, paying attention to what's going on in the news, um, going to just going to forums where uh, people are talking. There was one back in October that the Young Democrats of St. Louis put on with Mayor Krusen, I believe Bruce Franks was there, and then a couple of other folks were on the panel. And I got to hear. But let's be honest; it was more Bruce and Mayor Cruz and. Oh, were you there? <laughs> no, I. Oh, okay. I, I, that I, uh, from almost an hour away, follow as closely as I can, and yeah, it, well, I believe I shared the live video as it was happening and was watching. It and, was. Yeah. It was. Uh, I mean, I knew that there were a lot of racial issues within the city um, and just in our surrounding area in general, but until I actually heard what people were saying. Uh, with their personal experiences, I was like, whoa, I did not know it ran that deep. And you didn't know there was a white union uh, police. No, I didn't know. Union, uh, and, police. and that kind of blew my mind. Like, uh -huh. why are you th that, that just uh, as someone who works and collaborates with people and knowing how much it, how important it is to be on the same page as everyone doing your job, that just, blew my mind like why are you guys not working together or why do you have two separate unions what what do, I had a lot more a lot of questions that came out of that why particular is this forum. segregated segregation exactly. should, should have been exactly and and so um, so yeah I, it, the evolution of realizing really how much more privilege I really do have than I originally thought um, that that has come to uh, the fore in my mind and that's another reason why I really feel like I can use my privilege as a white woman, as someone who's in the middle class, um, to help those who are much more unfortunate. And it's not just the black community um, traveling around the district. District 3 is pretty rural, for those of you who don't know. Um, just take a look um, on the, you can go to my website, katiegeppertforcongress.com. And, and predominantly white. And it's predominantly white, but there, there's so much lacking in terms of rural opportunity. As I've gone around and talked with people of the district, um, I, opportunity. I think you just hit a really important word because that is what connects rural and urban. Mm -hmm. It is, and a lot of people don't really even see uh, how those things are. But we're lacking opportunities. We're yeah. lacking opportunities in rural areas. Yes. We're lacking opportunities yes. in urban areas. And because of this, good things are not coming out of it. Right, and it and it circles back to education. In that regard, I really think that it does because the, uh, as I was talking with um, a lot of the people, uh, or where was I? On Monday, I went to Lynn, Missouri, to talk with the uh, Osage County Democrats, and um, since I've been living in, in the St. Louis metropolitan area for the last ten years, and just talking with them about the opportunities that are lacking in the rural area really overlap a lot with the opportunities that are lacking in the urban areas. So, and it's, and a lot of that has to do with education and a lot of it, a has, lot to of it has to do with education. education. And when that, when, uh, if, if you look at the, in the rural areas, there are 14 school districts in the state of Missouri that only attend four days a week. Yeah. And there are three of those in, in district three. Yeah. 
Um, we talked about that on the big super episode that we did, the impromptu episode in Jefferson City, uh, because we had Brian Strubig on the show. We had uh, uh, Derek Nowlin and, and uh, Sarah Hinkle, mm-hmm. and they're all very aware of, of what's going on in the rural uh, and that episode will come out after this one. We also had your opponent, John Keeney, yeah. on there. Uh, he will be a primary opponent. Right. But uh, I will put this episode out before I put <laughs> that episode out because, John, you said ladies first, and that's how I'm going to do it. All right. So. But I, uh, but going back to the whole education thing, I, mm-hmm. I, le- I was listening to Brian Strubick talk. The four days a week thing. Yeah, I, I was listening to Brian Strubick talk about um, having to have a conversation with his daughter that no parent needs to have, and that was – you're going off to college. You're, you have the opportunity to get out of this rural town where there's no opportunity, so don't come home. And yeah. to me, as a parent, that broke my heart yeah. because I always want my daughter to feel like she can ha- come home, just A, to visit with me, but also that come she can come home and make a life for yourself. Yeah. And, and that, that, like I said, it breaks my heart as a parent when, when you're a parent, you're doing the best that you can in the area where you live, but there's not much opportunity for your children to come back and thrive as well. And how can we build communities like that? How can we build long-lasting communities, tight-knit communities, when we're having to have a hard talk with our children and saying, there is nothing left here for you. Please don't come back. Go make a life for yourself. Uh, how, do we, how do we improve that? I mean... The only thing you can really, that I can really think of, is we've got to get more funding into those uh, places and be able to have uh, the industries of the the future start coming back to Missouri. Yes, so I I think there's there's a couple of ways, and we already touched on education, because a well-educated, well-trained workforce is a huge, huge attraction for the larger companies. whether it's manufacturing or IT or healthcare. Um, they like I mean, healthy people too. Yes, they like healthy people as well. <laughs> Another issue that I, I know that Missouri has specifically is infrastructure. Like, that's great. If we're going to manufacture all of these goods and services, but if we don't have good roads or good railways or good waterways to transport them to market, that's going to be an issue too. And that's, I can tell you right now, um, Every place that I've worked, uh, one of the biggest decisions in terms of relocating or opening a new plant or or doing anything has to do with transportation. Yeah, infrastructure, location. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, How far are you from different ports? How far are you from different harbors and different locations where items will be coming? Exactly. And what kind of... like broadband internet access. How can yeah. how can you communicate with other parts of the world? Because if if all you're getting is satellite internet mm-hmm. into a small little town in Mary's County, Missouri, uh, Mary's that's County, gonna, Missouri is not going to get a whole lot of infrastructure mm-hmm. or in industry. Industry. If we right. don't make sure that they have the infrastructure built up in order right. to make it make it so. Um, when I was visiting, like I said earlier this week, I was at the Osage County. Uh, Democrat meeting in Lynn, Missouri. That's where the State Technical Institute of Missouri is, and I didn't know that. And I and I thought to myself as we're going through, I um, okay, mental note: go and find out what kind of uh, degrees or certificates they offer there, and find out if those students are actually sticking around in those rural communities in Missouri, and uh, just find out more about it because I I think I'm I'm happy that we have a state tech school. Um, that might be different from, say, uh, Missouri Science and Technology at Rolla, which that's a little more um, 
engineering or investing in those things. Yeah, exactly. So, what like are, are people able to get there and um, a because that's another issue. That's another barrier to education that a lot of people have talked to me about is okay. Yeah, if you want to lower the cost of tuition for uh, for me to go to school, that's great. But I can't afford the gas to get there. Or childcare. It's like that's great. I'm a parent. I have a two-year-old, and I can't afford to go to school three days a week because um, because there's no affordable childcare for my kids. Yeah. And and so I, I think that's another way to when we start looking at better ways to fund education, we have to absolutely consider okay, how much money. We're not just talking about tuition and making sure that the lights stay on in the buildings. Do people have proper access to transportation, whether it's do we send a shuttle bus around the county um, or do we offer uh, gas cards for those who have, the, who have cars or have their own transportation? And then also um, we need to have a child care center on site at a lot of our, at our community colleges, technical colleges, so that every one of them. Uh, yeah, so that every, every parent who wants to have a better future for them and their kids um, has the opportunity to just say, okay, I'm going to go to class for an hour. I just need someone to watch my kid. Yeah. So. Yeah, and be able to, to go there and, and know that their kid is safe. Um, so let's let's kind of segue into safety in schools mm. with Parkland not being uh, too far in our past. Yeah. Um, what, what, where do you stand on the Second Amendment uh, debate? Where do you stand on mentally ill people getting guns? Um, so let me first just say I am not a gun owner. Um, I think the only time I've ever shot a gun was a BB gun. So let me just say I am I am not I'm certainly no expert on the terminology. Although I was talking with Brian Strubig and uh, uh, another person about where do I go to become better educated, and I definitely am planning on taking a gun course from offered from the. Missouri Department of Conservation. So that's, I'm looking forward to taking that so I can better educate myself on what exactly is the terminology that the news keeps talking about. Like, like I keep hearing people say, well, there's no such thing as a real assault rifle. And, and, and going back and forth, I'm like, okay, well, why do you say that? Like, because we have people talking about machine guns and assault rifles and trying to figure out all that terminology. So uh, I'm trying to do a better job of educating myself on those if issues. A rifle is used for assault, it becomes an assault rifle. Okay. <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. I, I mean, that's Webster's Dictionary. Sure, absolutely. <laughs> and, and so my... If you are a responsible gun owner, if you take care... But I don't know that we should outlaw all, all quote-unquote, assault rifles. Where do you feel on that? Well, I, I think that if you're a responsible gun owner, you should be able to keep your gun regardless of what type of gun it is. Okay? And... But I, I think we need to make sure we have proper background checks in place, um, and and even like a cool down period. Um, maybe that that's something that's been uh, floated around is you have to uh, if you go to buy a gun you have to prove that you have a background check, um, and then seventy two hour waiting period before you can go back and buy that gun. And that I think right there is in order to. Uh, make sure that you're not making a rash decision. Like you're not really upset. You're not 
angry with someone that you want to go buy that gun and go do harm for that person. So I think that's a good step in the right direction because if we do that, that's going to combat a lot of the mentally ill. That's going to combat somebody who may be angry going mm -hmm. to buy a gun specifically to do malice and mayhem. I also think there's uh, been a lot of talk about um, ordinary citizens being able to go to a judge and saying and presenting evidence stating that we need to look more into the background of this particular person because of X, Y, and Z. Okay. And not every state allows that. Um, I know I think Connecticut after Sandy Hook made their change uh, to their laws regarding whether or not um, like the sheriff or the law enforcement would have to bring that charge to if a judge. he's rocking a Nazi flag and he's out in his yard with a grenade launcher, I think we need to look into it. Yes, you know? I mean. yes. And, and not necessarily put it all on the shoulders of the law enforcement to, to make those, uh, you know, to bring those charges to a judge. So um, that would probably help. And, and that's not to say that anytime someone is accused of being mentally unstable that automatically their guns are going to be taken away. It's just asking the judge, hey, can we get someone to come in and evaluate this person just to make sure they're not going to do harm to themselves or someone else? Yeah. And, and so well, There I, should be an evaluation process. There, there really does need to be. And, and the other thing, too, that I really would like to see is, uh, and I've gotten feedback from a lot of uh, very avid gun owners, that why do we need high-capacity uh, magazines? Um, most of the people well, a lot I've, of Americans will tell you that they just want them. They, yes. They feel like they need them because they want them. Yes. And that should be their right. Yeah. Um, uh, sorry. I, I don't agree with that. What do you think about the well-regulated militia part of the Second Amendment that most people uh, that, that really support it seem to ignore? Yeah. Um, if, I, I really have a feel like if you, if, if that's the part that maybe you believe in, then maybe you should join the Army. Yeah. So... Yeah. I, I do want to uh, clarify something I said earlier. It, sure. It's not the, by my definition of assault weapon, mm -hmm. uh, I don't think that all assault weapons should be uh, made illegal because, you know, I've got a pretty wide definition of assault weapon if it's a weapon that's used as an assault. So I wanted to clear that up. In a day and age where, where these things are such a hot button issue, uh, you got to be very precise. It, well, exactly, and that's one of the reasons why I am working to make sure I have a better understanding of terminology and uh, and I'm up on my uh, and, and that's gun the only thing that most voters can so. ask of you is to try if you don't know uh, about an issue to try to educate yourself on the issue mm -hmm. and um, you know have a, a draw well educated opinion. And I think as a scientist, that's probably something that you do naturally. Yes. Am I right? Yes. Uh, I mean, it, thank God for Google. I mean, Agreed. <laughs> seriously, Agreed. because, and, and you do have to run that, like, BS filter sometimes on some oh, of the yeah. websites that you get, because yeah. a, lot of time, a lot of times the first thing that comes up, it's like, what? you got to research the author. Exactly. You've got to see other stories that they've done. You've got to yes. see if the story's been debunked. Almost everything I Google, I Google again after the fact and put debunked by it. Yeah. Because I want to know what the other side's got to say. Yeah. And I, I think it's good quality as far as being bipartisan in, in a legislature type of situation yeah. is to just look up both sides of the situation. Well, and even more so in this era of quote-unquote fake news where uh, people are putting so much crap out on Facebook and social media and just trying to boost their website on 
uh, on yeah. Google. Clickbaits. Ex- oh, gosh, yeah. And, yeah. and some of them I get sucked in on. And then, I've fallen for and then some I'm of just like, too, wait a second, wait a second, tough. don't share. Like, don't share this yet, okay? Yeah. Think about it for like a couple of days before you share it. So, yeah. But um, you know what? With so much information going out there, people can't really hold it against you. But what they can do is hold you accountable. Yeah. So if something is BS, I, I expect all of my followers, all of my friends uh, to, to let me know. And then I act upon that. Oh, know? yeah, I absolutely agree. I, I misspoke. Um, talking to a, a group down in Washington and someone corrected me like right away and I was like thank you sorry I didn't realize I had mis- misspoken um, Did someone say mankind and Justin Trudeau broke in with we, we call it people kind <laughs> just asking Justin, we get that you're woke, man. Yes. But anyway, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, no, but, I, but that, that's, that's something for my voters uh, and constituents to know too is that you know, if, if there's something that I am misrepresenting or you think I'm misrepresenting, please let me know. I call would, me on it. Call me on it. I would rather... Right now. I would Let's ra- talk about it. Yeah, please. Um, I'll change it on my website as soon as I can. Yeah. So, uh, so, yeah, please let me know if I've gotten anything wrong. I think that may be the difference in, in uh, parties at this point. There's a lot of people coming in. Uh, that's why we're doing this show, Next Gen Dems, uh, is because there's a lot of new people coming in that... that want to be called on their BS. Mm-hmm. They, they want to be proven wrong if they are wrong. They want to be um, uh, pliable, you know? Well, and, and that's something that I am, uh, I, I definitely have had to learn from being a scientist is that if you're not precise with your wording or uh, if you don't make a conclusion that's clear, people are going to call you out on it because they want to know what the real facts are. And yeah. if you don't have them, they're going to let you know it. And so that has made me uh, very, uh, sometimes a little more cautious than I probably needed to be in terms of uh, stating things. Um, because I've just been taught, like, if you really don't know the answer to that, don't guess. Yeah. Just admit it. Like, yeah. just say, you know, I don't know. I'm going to try and find out, and yeah. I will get back to you. Exactly. That is the really important point that, uh, that, that's probably the biggest lesson I've learned as a scientist. Because I, I think growing up, um, and probably a lot of people in our generation were, were, were too afraid to say, I don't know, because there was no, there was no way to go back and kind of redeem yourself. Exactly. Yeah. How did we research things? When it came down to it when we were younger, um, we had to just deal with I don't know. Yeah. Now you can find out the information. But back then, we had to go to the library. We had to encyclopedia. Britannica was our friend. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that was how we were able to settle arguments. Either that or you just ended with both people not knowing. Not knowing. Um, or someone being able to argue a side that either that sounded right. Yeah. And so if you were a really good persuasive speaker uh, that could argue a case, even if you didn't have the, the research to back it up, a lot of people would end up being just believing you. Imagine so. if we had a Trump presidency and didn't have the internet to fact check. Oh my gosh. We, we would not know how many times he lies every day. Yes. It's 5.9 on average. Do we know how many times uh, uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders has lied for him or lies for him during sure a press close. conference? I'm pretty sure it's close. Okay. Um, and she's much uh, better at it, in my estimation, than Spicy, mm-hmm. Sean Spicer. 
Um, because he was, he was a little more entertaining just because you could see he, was, he could see him breaking into a sweat yeah, when yeah. he knew that something was she's cool she calm is, and collective she's powder she's dry a, man she's got a southern bite to her mm -hmm. you know and I recognize that because I've got a lot of family members in the south and uh, they definitely got that southern bite to mm -hmm. them but uh, she, she's got it on a whole nother level it seems like she's got a little southern bite a little Trumpism going on a whole lot of Trumpism mm -hmm. going on mm -hmm. um, but it really is almost and this sounds bad, uh, and I don't mean it as a good thing, but it's almost like watching an artist work. It is. Because it is really beautiful how she spins those things. And beautiful in the absolute worst possible way. way. Um, I, I agree with you on that. And, and, this, and, and I almost hate to admit that in terms of messaging and trying to figure out what the best way is to word things or phrase things, you really can take a page from the Trump playbook and figure out, I mean, do it honestly, but he, he just takes, he's so good at impact statements um, and trying to figure out and, and trying to use that, trying to use that knowledge and kind of figure out what, what I can use, but be honest about things, you yeah. know? So. Yeah. And, and the funny thing is, is that um, she doesn't really care. Yeah. She, like she, somebody will come up and say, uh, well, what do you think about these 19 women who ha have accused uh, Trump of, of sexual harassment? Uh, and she'll be like, well, the American people elected him. <laughs> like, <laughs> okay, you, you can't argue that. He got the electoral college vote, you know? Yeah. But uh, that really didn't answer the question. No, but, she's very good at deflecting. Like, the, the president has been very, very firm on... Uh, where he stands on this, and he's made numerous statements about it, and I don't think we have to bring it up again. Well, and I, I think one wow. one of the most recent ones that really made me scream and yell when I was in the car was um, her blaming Obama for not doing anything on the Russian election hacking now. Like She's like, well, he's to blame for all of this. And it's like, well, you're in charge now, so what are you going to do about it? No. Yeah, but what she's not mentioning is that Obama did tell Trump yes. about the Russian election hacking, yes. uh, about the, the Russian involvement, what, whatever is going to come out of that. He did tell him. Yeah. Uh, and Trump did nothing. Mm -hmm. And my question is, why exactly did Trump do nothing when he found out about it from his predecessor? Um, and I think we all know the answer to that. I think any objectionable person knows exactly why he did nothing. Well, I, as a scientist, I need to see the evidence, but um, of course. before I can make a true conclusion. But I have my hunches, and I have my. I, I think a lot of other people are are kind of in the same boat with me. As like, we know there's got to be something there, but yeah. we're just not sure what it is, and so we can't make our final say on there's exactly. There's smoke where there's Donald Trump Jr. Mm -hmm. There is smoke where there's uh, Rick Gates. There, uh, no, there's really fire. Where there's Rick Gates. Oh, yeah. There's and Paul fire. Manafort. Where there's Paul Manafort. Yes. Uh, uh, Papadopoulos. There, there are flames going on, and a lot of people will say where there's smoke, there's fire. Well, there's a whole lot of fire, and there's a little bit of smoke. Uh, something's going on. Something is going on. Something's going on, and it all points in one direction. So uh, my hypothesis uh, would be that it all points towards the direction that it's seeming to point towards. Yes. So uh, that's where I stand on the whole issue. Yeah. I, I, I am, I'm leaning that way, yes. I think that... So how do we make polling more fair? How do we make voting uh, uh, more correct and, and to make sure that everybody's vote, voice and vote matters? 
Oh, wow. So in terms of polling and, well, I don't know. It's, it's hard to trust polling anymore just because, and not because, well, I, the, I not mean because. Elections. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I thought you meant, you know, the, right. the asking of, right. of what you are. No, because I mean, on. they're going to ask 300 people and then they're going to say 94% of respondents mm. said. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I really think that um, as candidates, it is our responsibility to, to work towards making sure that uh, we know we have everyone who's going to go and vote or everyone in our districts that we want to go vote or is eligible to vote is able to vote. And what and my personal opinion is, yeah, I'm, yes, I want you to vote for me, but I want you to, I want you to vote. I want I you to want exercise you to your, vote. I would rather you exercise your right to vote, even if you're not going to vote for me. Exactly. Because that is your voice. You are yeah. going to use it. Yeah. And, and, uh, every two years, if you're voting in the House elections, or uh, every four years, if you're voting in the presidential elections, or every six years, if you decide to vote for a senatorial candidate, um, y y that's your that's your opportunity. And other than that, you don't get many opportunities to directly voice your your opinion. Now, yes, you have the right to talk with your uh, your representatives, your senators, but good luck getting an actual meeting with any of them. Yeah, so. and good luck getting them to vote the way that you want them to. Yes. Once they get there, they it seems that most of them close their ears and, and will only operate for their contributors and donors. Yes, and I, I would really like to see a little more transparency, not, not, always, not just from the... Um, the, the representatives as to where they're getting their money from because we, we I think we already know that we do have to disclose who we have received donations from yes. but oh, yeah. if we receive it from a pack I would like people to be able to go to the pack and, oh, and see who has actually donated to that pack yeah me too because I think on opensecrets.org you have to really dig in order to see that yeah. um, because I, I have I have friends who have donated to fraternity sorority pack and you can find that on there but it's but you can only search by the individual you can't necessarily go and type in whatever such, pack, and, such, pack, such and such pack where did all and then see from? every single donor you've had for this uh donation cycle yeah and, and i know that you didn't run last election cycle um but in 2016 there were a couple uh billionaires republican billionaires mm -hmm. that were pushing through things like right to work, things mm -hmm. like, uh, you know, against prevailing wage and um, David Humphreys, Rex Stinkfield, uh, Stinkfield. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it was Stinkfield uh, uh, lovingly. Did you say Stinkfield? I think it was Stinkfield <laughs> lovingly. I think his actual name is Stinkfield. Anyway, um, so we had a couple billionaires that were pumping money into uh, state legislator races yeah. mm -hmm. uh, and, and governor races, and they were able to give unlimited amounts of money um, and they were even able to funnel it like uh, other, uh, in 2016, other candidates could give other candidates money. Yeah. So they were able to have people like my opponent say, I never took any Humphreys or Sinkfield money. Mm -hmm. um, but I got he, it directly from but, this person but he got, who got it But he from... got 20 candidates to give him thousands of dollars mm -hmm. and those candidates did take that money. Yes. You know? And so and, I, and I... But what they're doing is this year because they've made it to where um, they can't give unlimited donations, uh, they've made it to where they're creating multiple packs, mm -hmm. and those packs are funneling that same money to those same candidates. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so like my opponent, for instance, he got 48 donors. 38 of them were PACs. Yeah. 38 of them were PACs. And the 10 were lobbyists and lawyers. And his brother-in-law, Robert Cornejo, mm-hmm. who's another representative. Um, yeah, it, and I, I really think his that... His committee account didn't give it to him. He gave it to him personally. Yeah, I really think the transparency, we have to open it up to see who's donating to these PACs. And sure, yeah, if you want to donate, if you want to create a dozen packs and put in however much money you want to put in, okay, sure. But we have to know what that is. Or we, we have to we, know where that money's coming, coming from. from. Yes, yeah. we need to know where that money's coming from. And there's, uh, th- there's no real way around that. People have to know where who is influencing who is influencing them because. So who is influencing Blaine Luchtmeyer? Well. Oh He's a gosh. multimillionaire himself. Oh my gosh, who isn't right? who isn't influencing uh-huh. Blaine Lukemeyer? Um he gets a lot of money from corporate PACs. I went and checked on his last report. Um almost I want I wish I had the numbers in front of me, but um there are very few individuals on his uh, FEC report. Um but overall in his career as a congressman, I believe he was elected in 2008 or 2010. I can't remember specifically what year he started. Okay. Uh, he has taken almost $40,000 from the NRA. And, and I'm <laughs> guessing he's not giving any of that back, even after um, the tragedy at, at, uh, at, in Parkland. Wow. Wow. So, so who are some of his other donors that uh, stuck out to you? Oh. Off the top of my head, I wish we can get Chrissy to, to look that up. But uh, it, it has been a couple of weeks since I actually looked at his report. But I, I've been waiting for 20 minutes for Chrissy to even look up. I, I'd love another <laughs> cup of coffee. That would be phenomenal. Do research. Uh-huh. All right. <laughs> but I, I do know that he gets a lot of, um, a lot of support from the financial industry. Um, Please, and thank you. He gets a lot of support from the financial industry. And why does that happen? Because he is a banker himself, ah. who happens to be on the finance committee. Yeah, so that, that seems like conflict of interest. It is a conflict of interest, and I would, I would really like to find out more about what his role is on the finance committee, so that um, I know specifically. Okay, are you are you drawing up a legislation that's there to basically help your bank and and your banker friends? Well, it seems with just that tax cut recently that that's exactly what's happening. Yeah. Uh, well, he was on... Uh, you know, it's amazing that banks can get bailed out, but they won't even fathom things like tuition forgiveness mm-hmm. um, and, and things of that sort. Right, and, and mortgage interest uh-huh. deductions and, and, and all that stuff, yeah. And, and, and if your parents have debt, they die, falls on you. But they don't want a death tax. Yes, but poor people, you're yeah. just doomed. Mm-hmm. You're doomed, saddled yeah. with your parents' debt. Yes. Or, yeah, or your spouse. I mean, even worse, it could be spouse. So, yeah, yeah it would be, it'd be terrible. But, the, um, but yeah, that was – where was I going with, with this, with Luca Meyer? Um, his banker friends? Yeah, his banker his friends. His position on the finance committee. Oh, yeah. So I have not seen any legislation from him regarding um, – uh, action when it came to the 2008 banking crisis, mortgage crisis, or anything like that, um, just to even investigate to, to find out it, what banks did. Um, he never put forth any type of legislation to to help solve that problem, and and that's really disturbing to me. If you're on the finance committee and you're a banker, wouldn't you want everything that you do to be out in the open and 
saying like you are I am I am working for the best interest of a my constituents and B for anyone who wants to have faith in their banks and their bankers that that to me says a lot that there's not been any legislation put forth by him well, it's very important that the American people have faith in our financial system yes and, and I think that there's been some systematic breaking down of one faith in our financial system because of so many people with greed at the very top mm-hmm. uh, there's also been been a whole uh, probably decade two decades dedicated to breaking down trust in our government uh, and, and so how do we restore that? I mean, other than running for office, and, and how can we reach people and let them know, especially the 50%, close to 50% of people that didn't vote, and let them know that there are new uh, Democrats coming out that are willing to fight for them. Um, we're here, and some of us are queer, and that's just how it goes. Um, <laughs> well, I think, I think one way to get people's attention is to... Um, try to get them to understand what gerrymandering is and say like, cause a lot of people that but I talk to, they understand that even if they know what, how can they help change that? Um, well, first of all, they can petition and work to ensure that the state legislature, whoever's in control, isn't the one drawing the district lines. We need to definitely push for, um, an by, independent, or, an independent yeah. um, redistricting, committee. I know in Arizona about they've had that going on for about 10 years and a lot of their uh, a lot of people who in Arizona say they're very happy with that. Same in California, they have an independent um, redistricting commission and we need to start pushing that pushing for that in Missouri and all over the all over the country. I mean, if anyone's been paying attention to the Pennsylvania gerrymandering uh, story, that's that's just been fascinating because I mean that that was a mess. So, it, Explain it, that so if you're not familiar with this particular uh, story, um, first of all, go to either the Philadelphia Inquirer or WHYY. They are they are covering it big time. But just the the synopsis of the problem is that um, Pennsylvania had some very 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 interesting district lines drawn in 2011 after the 2010 census that basically uh, a lot of the Republicans in who were the ones drawing it were incredibly unapologetic about the fact that, well, we only districted 13 because we, uh, we couldn't figure out how to do 14. Um, and they, they basically, uh, made the districts to favor the Republicans in, uh, in, for the U S house seats. And so, so to really quickly explain that, uh, in, thank you very much. Um, uh, in Pennsylvania, they, have 13 districts now they used to have 14 right well they have they have 18 total districts okay. for u.s house of representatives and so five of them are uh held five of those seats are held by democrats and 13 of them are held by republicans but if What's you look the at split in the state exactly so if you look at the statewide races uh-huh. over 50 percent of the statewide races or over 50 percent in the statewide races more democrats come out and vote um and more Democrats win at, at the state to 60%, level. Right? Yeah, I know. I know it's over fifty percent. So that was one of the arguments in the in the case that they were talking about with um, with the judge. And so um, the Supreme Court of Pennsylvania essentially said, "Okay, you have to redraw these lines to make them more fair." And because what was happening, let me lay it out uh, layman's terms, because I'm a layman. Um, it, what was happening is that 
even though there were more Democratic voters, and this is happening in Missouri, there is a lot of this happening in Missouri, even though there were more Democratic voters, because of the way that the lines were drawn uh, for the districts, it made it to where there were more Republicans in each district. So even though the state had about 60% Democratic voters, because of the way the lines were drawn, more Republicans won seats. And so when they, when they do stuff like that, it's called um, packing or... Uh, gerrymandering. Or, yes, gerrymandering, yeah, overall. So when you hear that phrase, that's what's happening. Yeah, so what, and the big strategy for that is you're going to pack, you, you know you're not going to be able to get away with making every single district Republican just because of the way of the layout of the state, but what you can do is find out where the Democratic voters are, stick them all into as many, uh, you know, stick as many of those voters into one district as you can. And so essentially you're the your rest of the districts. And then the rest of the districts you put, um, you put in the majority Republicans um, or, or you figure out how to say, okay, we're going to, there's some, there's some Democrats here. We can, uh, there's a cluster of Democrats here. We're going to cut them down in the half and have one half of them in district A and the other half in district B. And then that way you're, you're cutting off uh, the democratic voice for a particular district. So to bring that to Missouri, it's like the, the, uh, GOP majority in Jeff city saying, we'll give you St. Louis, we'll give you Kansas city and maybe a little bit of Columbia. We're taking the rest. Mm -hmm. That's well. That's essentially what happened. Um, <laughs> Isn't it interesting how that's absolutely what happened? Well, take a look at my website, KatieGepperforCongress.com. Yes, I have, let's hit some plugs. How can yeah. they contribute? How can they get involved? Uh, tell us. So a I have a nice new fresh website that we launched today, uh, KatieGepperforCongress.com, and that's K-A-T-Y-G-E-P-P-E-R-T for Congress.com. And if you go there, one of the links on the page. Is will take you to a district map of the of District Three in Missouri, and you can see how it cuts out any part of St. Louis County, how it cuts out any part of Rolla, any part of Columbia. So basically, in in terms of trying to cut out any type of liberal uh, influence within this district, um, it's it's gone. Yeah. And but what's interesting is that you can go around here and there are a whole lot of Democrats. They may not have gotten out to vote in 2016, and we're going to need you in 2018. Mm -hmm. But there are a whole lot of Democrats um, uh, around this area, so we need to find them. Yes, we do. We need to mobilize. We need to organize. And yes. that's exactly what we're going to do. Yes, uh, we may not be able to outspend the Republicans, but we can outwork them. We can outwork them. That's exactly right. Because we are the next generation. We are. We are the we youth. Are. We have and, the energy. And that's why we are, are using this as a sounding board and a megaphone and a microphone for the next generation of Democrats here on Next Gen Dems. Uh, we are broadcasting from Rendezvous Cafe and Wine Bar. Uh, it, it is during the day. It is during business hours. It is bustling. Everything's going on outside. I'm sure you've seen plenty of awesome vehicles. Uh, Rendezvous Cafe and Wine Bar is right here at 217 South Main Street, O'Fallon, Missouri. And I am here with Katie Geppert uh, running for District 3. Uh, for the U.S. US House, House of Representatives, yes. Absolutely. So she's excited. running for Congress, ladies and gentlemen. Kind of a big deal around here. Kind of a big deal. Um, so... Uh, How's your, your race going? Are you getting a lot of energy? Are you getting a lot of volunteers? And, um, I'm, uh, I'm, I have gotten a lot of uh, requests for information on how people can canvas for me, how people can donate. And, again, if you go to my website, katiegepperforcongress.com, the donate page is active. 
uh, just click on donate. It'll take you to actblue.com, and you can make a donation. Um, any donation really is uh, is great, but if everybody listening, and I know Curtis gets a lot of listeners, you get at least what a thousand thousand well, likes. And the the last episode got close to two thousand, um, and then I think our lowest episode was the first one, I believe, and that's close to four hundred or so. So if everybody listening went to my website and donated a hundred dollars, that would be. If we're looking at average of maybe two thousand, let's say if we get a thousand viewers, they donate a hundred dollars. You know, that's a hundred thousand dollars, and that would be a huge, huge jolt to my campaign um, because we, as pretty much any any candidate's going to tell you, one of the most expensive things that comes to a campaign is postage. Yeah. If I wanted to send, I, I did the math. If I want to send a mailer out to. Uh, every registered voter in my district, it's going to cost about $70,000 in postage. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And that's just postcard stamps. It's not like actual, I think we're posted up to 50 cents this year, 50, yeah. 51 cents, something 51 like that. Yeah, that, that's just not, that's not counting, uh, that's not counting regular postage. That's just postcard stamps. Yeah. So postage is a huge, uh, hu- a huge dollar suck, but. Yeah. Walk pieces. Walk pieces. Uh, yes. Yeah, just to print and, um, just for those out there, if you're wondering, yes, I use union printers for everything that I do, uh, cards, as well. Palm I mailers. think all Democrats should. Yes, yeah. Well, you're not going to be taken seriously as a Democrat if you don't have the union bug on your. Well, on if any you don't of have you. the union bug, you're not really there for the unions. No. So, uh, why should they be there for you? Exactly. <laughs> you know? Yes. So I'm there. And that's their mindset, and it, they will tell you that. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. and and they're. Um, as well they should. Well, because, I mean, th- their jobs and their livelihood is really under jeopardy. Yeah. It's under attack right now. And, and so um, they take it very seriously. If you want an endorsement, then you've got to show that you're going to go out and work for them. Absolutely. you got to walk those lines. you got to walk the walk. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's what a lot of people started direly missing uh, within Democrats is that so many of them got – uh, complacent and got comfortable mm-hmm. uh, that they wouldn't go out there and walk a picket line. Yeah. That they wouldn't go out there and, and support people where they needed to support people. And I think that's the difference is that the next generation of Democrats, people that I'm going to have right here on Next Gen Dems, cheap plug, um, are going to be out there walking the walk. Yes. They are going to be out there uh, you know, following through on what they say they're going to do. And I think people are starting to recognize that. I, I really think that our generation is going to be the generation of activists. Well, it's turning into that. Yeah. It's turning into that. Unfortunately, it's because it had to be that way. Mm -hmm. Um, Activists are stepping up and running for office. Uh, People who just had enough. I I wouldn't have called myself an activist before all this, but um, it it came a point where enough was enough, and I knew that it was time for a change, and you become an activist. Mm -hmm. You become an activist because you start walking the walk and you start uh, really being there for the people who need you there for them. Um, and, and standing alongside people that not everybody's standing alongside and people that need support. So I think that people are starting to recognize that and they're going to start coming around. Well, and back to your point about privilege, um, using our privilege that we have to make sure that uh, the people who may not have our privilege still have the same opportunity that we can, that we, yeah. can, that we are able to yeah. get. Yeah, and I was going to touch on that earlier. We need more people in the middle class. We need more people in the upper class. Mm-hmm. And... and Imagine, imagine the power of a guy who's a millionaire coming out there and protesting water being polluted or going out there and protesting jobs being lost or healthcare being lost. Mm -hmm. He's not there because he has to be. He's there because he wants to be. And we need more people like that. 
When you, and, and there are some celebrities that get out there and get involved. Alyssa Milano, uh, the, the guy who played the Incredible Hulk. What's his name? Um, Mark Ruffalo. Mark Ruffalo. Mark Ruffalo is awesome for, mm-hmm. for that. He's turned into an activist. Uh, it may have been well before he was a celebrity. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are so many people that are getting out there, getting involved. Even Kimmel. Kimmel is starting to use his show mm-hmm. as a sounding board um, because uh, a lot of people um, that finance the shows that you see, a lot of the talk shows and a lot of the news, uh, aren't too happy about people trying to, to talk out against them. And there's certain people like Kimmel that, that is not afraid. Right. Um, so we need more. Complaints. And for that, I mean, I've never been a huge fan of Jimmy Kimmel, mm-hmm. uh, but ever since he started, I always thought it was kind of a Fallon knockoff, but uh, <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't, never really appreciated him from the Man Show necessarily. The man but show, yeah. yeah. Like that's what I I was like the guy for when I first heard he got a, a Late Show. I was like the guy from the Man Show. Well, I remember. Why didn't they give it to the other guy, um, Adam Carolla? Adam Carolla. I was like Adam Carolla seemed like he was much more of a host. And Jimmy Kimmel seemed like he was much more of a sidekick. Well, Kimmel had the experience doing um, uh, Beat Ben Stein or Take Ben Stein's Money. I can't remember ah, the name yeah. of that show. Take so ben he, Stein's Money. He, uh, win Ben Stein's Money, that's what it that's was. It. And so he was on the, uh, he was the host of that show. So he did have some hosting experience. But, but, but yeah, from his time with The Man Show, I was like, really, that guy on, yeah. on ABC? But he's, he's proven to really be a... a a force for standing Good. up for I think what what he sees as as issues that are important, yeah. um, especially with his son who was born with a congenital congenital heart defect, and he stood up and realized his privilege of yeah. having health He's insurance. Saying, Look, I got millions. I have health insurance. I, have, I can I, take care of myself. myself. And but I don't. There are people out there that cannot take care of their children that have the same disease that my kid does. Right, and that all comes back to recognizing privilege and understanding that you know I have this. So should everybody else. Yeah. So. Yeah. And, and what's wrong with that in a society that can do that? Exactly. Uh, a lot of people will say, how can we pay for it? But yet we're giving tax breaks to billionaires. Mm-hmm. So, and, and corporations that will offshore the American dream. Mm-hmm. So what do we do to battle that? I mean, money out of politics is a big one because when you've got money in politics, obviously it's a festering place for greed. Uh, and that's how the swamp got filled. Yeah. And, and then the swamp just got filled with people who had never been uh, in a decision-making situation like they are now. They're just a whole new, different kind of swamp. Yeah. Well, and, and I hear a lot of, because um, I, I do, do listen to a lot of uh, talk radio and NPR and um, PBS. And, and so I hear both sides of the of the argument for um, moving jobs away is, or, or having immigrants come in and they're just saying, well, we, we just don't have the workforce here. We don't have the people who have these skills. And so my response to that is, well, let's, let's teach our people. Yeah. Like, let's put the money into education. Let's put the <laughs> that money. That should be where we invest. Let's, you know? let's put the money into health care so that people are healthy enough to be strong in the workforce. Um, healthy workforce will keep America strong. I mean, that's, that's why we have to... Uh, we have to work to continue the progress that the Affordable Care Act made. Yes, that don't get me wrong. There are flaws in the Affordable Lots Care of Act. Flaws. Okay, but the fact that you can't be denied for a pre-existing condition—that's mm-hmm. huge. Yeah. Um, the fact that's that the biggest one. Let's be honest. That's yes. the biggest one. Yes. Is that now uh, with that 
It, yes, premiums went up, and it didn't exactly work the way that it should have because it was given to the insurance companies. They rewrote it, gave it back to Obama, and that's what became Obamacare. If I was Obama, I wouldn't have allowed my name to be on it mm -hmm. uh, after the insurance companies rewrote it yeah. to the best of their ability, took out the public option, mm -hmm. uh, and, and made it to where we're in the situation that we are now. But pre-existing conditions, it, insurance companies were allowed to tell you no. Um, and well, they're still allowed to tell a, you no. Literally be a death sentence. Yeah. Literally be a death sentence. No, we're not going to cover you, uh, and unfortunately you're going to die because of this. Yeah. And, and as much as I do love Bernie, I, I'm not one of those people who really thinks that his, yes, we should just, cause we should just cover everything. Um, if you want to go have this procedure, yes, go have this procedure. And the, the well, that, that's not actually the, the case. Oh, is it? Okay, because no. that's, that's kind of the impression that I've got from him. I think that's the impression that a lot of people try to get, and, and it's that uh, if, you, if you want, say, an augmentation, Mm -hmm. uh, or if a gentleman wants an augmentation, yeah. uh, you're going to pay for that. Yeah. Uh, that. That's an elective procedure. Exactly, yes. But if you've got a heart failure going on, then they're going to treat you. Oh, and yeah. The fact is, is that if we concentrated more on preventative maintenance, like we do for our cars, mm -hmm. um, then there would be a whole lot less need for, for health care at the level that we're having to deal with it now. Right. And, and so I think uh, to some degree we need I, – I am – behind Medicare for All, I do think that the government should offer some sort of coverage up to, mostly preventative care, absolutely, I think that they're... I call that return on investment. Yeah, so Where's let's... our tax money going? You know, our, our roads and bridges are falling apart, and we still can't cover people uh, for, for basic preventative maintenance. Yeah, and so I think that with, if, if we work to make sure that if you don't have maybe you can afford supplemental insurance to take care of maybe some of the more um, more expensive things or you know if you if you get into a car accident or something like that and um, there are going to be costs for the rest of your life or something like that you know let's let's work on uh, making sure that people can find affordable supplemental care supplemental insurance that um, that will cover uh, more of the uh, surprises in life, let's put it that way, I guess. Yeah. Uh, but at the baseline, I really think that, yes, if we're going to, if we want to have a healthy workforce, a healthy student populace, we need to have uh, the government cover the, basical, the, the basic medical checkups, yeah. um, basic preventative care. See, um, what I was saying in 2016 when I was hitting the doors was uh, we need to invest in health care, we need to invest in education, because a healthy, educated society is a powerful thing. And that's exactly what they're trying to fight right now. They mm -hmm. don't want people to be heavily educated mm -hmm. uh, because people who are heavily educated stand up for themselves. Mm -hmm. They don't want people to be in, in great health um, because that's not going to help the pharmaceutical industry. Mm -hmm. um, so there are a whole lot of, of issues that are arising, again, due to greed, um, that we're not taking care of our populace and we're not investing in our population and like I said, return on investment. Instead of giving $1.4 trillion to billionaires mm -hmm. and multinational corporations that are offshoring the American dream, we need to invest it in healthcare and education and make sure that we have the most healthy, educated society that we possibly can. Because when that happens, we're gonna have innovation. Mm -hmm. We're gonna have we're gonna be breeding Einsteins like they're coming off a conveyor well, belt. Exactly. And then there's also going back to the whole tax issue of if we have more people in the workforce getting paid living wages, we don't have to raise taxes. We're just going to have, it's going to naturally happen that more money is going to go into the coffers just because 
if you're making if you're making ten dollars an hour and you pay ten percent on you pay, you pay ten percent tax, that's a dollar in taxes per hour that you work. If you make fifteen dollars an hour and you're still making ten percent, that's a buck fifty. So you, you you're making more money and more money is going into your pocket and then uh, there's still more money going into uh, into the uh, into the taxes. Yeah, and uh, um, you look at it where where we're in a situation where uh, people can't buy things. People can't buy things, but the fact is, is that millionaires, people that have a lot of money, uh, hoard their money. Mm-hmm. They they save it. Yes. Uh, and they're able to because they don't have to spend a lot because they already have their million dollar mansion in their yacht. Right. They, uh, you know, they've already got uh, their employees and, and their cook and their mm-hmm. cleaner and all these things. Um, but when when poor people, when people that, that live in po- abject poverty have more money, they spend 110% of that money. Mm-hmm. We spend beyond our means. Yes. We are Americans. We get that. Um, but when people have... But people that don't usually have money have more money. They spend it. That's going to boom the economy. Absolutely. That's going to be an investment in our country. And so we need to get more money on the bottom mm-hmm. so we can raise everybody else. Yeah. And as, as someone who just looked at my paycheck the other day, I think I already mentioned that. Like, uh-huh. I'm not really seeing more money in my paycheck. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Are, are you in Sorry, that millionaire Trump. echelon? I, I am not. Yeah. So I, not. Uh, I think that there's not going to be a whole lot of people that are in your your uh, pay level or my pay level mm-hmm. that are going to, to see any benefits from those actions. Right. And and it still sticks with me that when, was it Secretary Mnuchin? Or Mnuchin. was it, or no, was it Cohn who said, who was at the, uh, a conference with like Fortune 500 CEOs where he was asking, well, how many of you are going to invest this back into your company? All this nobody ta- raised their hand. Well, I think they, I think like three people raised their hand. Yeah. Or he was like, but there was like fifty he, of them. Yes. Yeah, well, and he he asked specifically. Captains of industry. He asked specifically, why aren't you all raising your hands? Because, well, why would they invest it into their company if they feel like they have an obligation to their shareholders? <coughs> because they. In my experience, and what That's I'm the problem. and what I'm seeing with their a lot of is their, their obligations, their shareholders, their obligation is not their employees. Mm-hmm. And, and how many people and without in the their employees? Ninety-nine percent are shareholders. Yeah. <laughs> you know, not, not a whole lot. Not a whole lot. I mean, yeah. more than some people might. You might be surprised to, to see how many people are considered shareholders, but. Um, but well, not, I'm, yeah. I'm not talking about maybe one or two shares of, of say, WWE. Or, oh, okay, okay. Uh, Fair I'm enough, I'm talking yeah. about the top, the, the people who, like you who own like 10% those dividend the, checks. Yeah, the people who own able, 10% of GE uh-huh. or something like right, that. Yeah, right, yeah. Yeah, no, no, no. That's not me. So. Yeah. See, I, I kind of draw a difference between stockholders and shareholders. Okay. Yeah. All right. Fair the stockholders enough. are people who just have a little bit of stock in that company. Shareholders are people who, who can really drive... Uh, the economy maybe of that company and maybe the economy of America because mm-hmm. of that. Um, so one of the things that I, I really want to uh, get across to the people is where you stand on some other issues as well. Mm-hmm. So um, we've talked about healthcare, we've talked about education, gun safety. Um, where where do you stand on uh, legalization cannabis? Where do you stand on so, medicinal? Uh, absolutely, for medicinal, I I definitely think we need to legalize it across the nation. Mm-hmm. Um, there are I, I, the reports that I've heard um, in terms of people dealing with the opioid and pain issues um, that can really really be a big part of the solution to the opioid crisis in this country. Is tell me about that. Is 
Um, well, if we legalize medical marijuana, you're not going to have to be on Oxycontin or fentanyl morphine. or morphine, which we know can be addictive. They're not addictive for everybody, but they're addictive for certain people. But wait a minute. Isn't cannabis? <laughs> I don't think there's... Uh, a- not with the... I mean, if some people... Some people may, may be addicted, but it's not as deadly as opioids. I mean... I think it's more of a habit than an addiction for yeah. a lot of people. Yeah. yeah. Um, like a lot of people are, are social smokers or social drinkers. I think a lot of people who are cannabis users are, I, I guess if you want to call it social, I don't know if that would be the what best way to describe it. What about those dangerous cannabis drivers? Yeah. <laughs> We're just going back to reefer madness days here sometimes, you know, so when yeah. I hear people talk about like, oh, we can't. We can't do this. We can't do that with cannabis because of X, Y, and Z. And I was like, that was not debunked like years ago, and and so I, I just. But it was debunked by by places that weren't uh, on purpose, weren't considered legitimate sources, exactly. uh, because they were delegitimized for saying something that didn't agree with the status quo, yeah. that didn't agree with the establishment uh, or pharmaceutical industries, um, and now people are starting to say, look. So many other countries are doing these studies. At the time, I believe we only had like one university mm-hmm. that was studying cannabis. When I, when I first got involved, which was ten years ago, I started to, to see that we needed to legalize. We're an agriculture state. Mm-hmm. Uh, if we legalize, we're going to introduce two new cash crops, mm-hmm. um, and then we've got a boom for our farming industry. And our farmers are going to absolutely love that. Well, and if we're talking about uh, different crops, um, I'm absolutely up for legalizing industrial hemp. Yeah. So I, I think that's... I think they just voted on that yesterday. Oh, did they? And okay. they're going to start doing that. But that's kind of a gimme. That's yeah. kind of a gimme because you look back in history, and I, I used to tell people all the time, uh, and I still do, um, you know, our covered wagons that colonized the West were covered in hemp. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Nina, the Pinta, the Santa Maria the sailed mass. over. Yep. They were, uh, you know, sailing over with hemp. Yes. Hemp sails. Uh, rope. Yeah. You know, uh, all the ropes on all of those ships were hemp. Yes. Clothing. Uh, in World War II, they, they had, you know, hemp for victory. Mm-hmm. Um, so when we need it, it's there, but... Uh, when, when say, when it's the lumber be, industry, yeah, when it's convenient. When it, well, well, I was going to say, when it becomes too competitive for certain industries, then it's like, oh, no, 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 we can't use this. This is terrible. Yeah. yeah. But in my opinion, for the going back to legalization of medical marijuana, um, I guess the pharmaceutical companies don't want to invest in the research to do, to find out how they can better... Um, better utilize marijuana or, or its properties we, and put it in, in form. I mean, because, I mean... I'm not a huge fan of the smell of marijuana, so if you want to figure out how to make it into... a little like a skunk, right? A a little bit, yeah. So if you can figure out a way to turn it into... uh, Figure out different delivery systems for it, Mm -hmm. um, let's let's work on that. But it's... Well, they've got the vape pens and the oil now. It's getting really sophisticated. It it is, exactly. And and figuring out different... Uh, drug delivery systems. But when systems. they blow it out, you still get that skunk's yeah. <laughs> scent in well, the Well, and I know, I, I know in some states they allow cap, oil capsules and um, mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of other uh, or edibles. They allow edibles and stuff mm-hmm. like that and you can use that so it's not actually going into the air and you don't have to smell it. But um, Keep in mind, edibles are apparently a lot more potent um, than other forms. Um, so, Good to know. Yeah. I have not tried yeah, any edibles uh, myself. Rogan I haven't been to Colorado or Washington or, Cal- <laughs> or wherever. Las Vegas. Yes. Washington, D.C. now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We're starting to come around. Yeah. We're starting to come around as a country and, and see that it's not 
the dangerous uh, tool well, uh, of the, the horrible Mexicans and blacks that they wanted to make it out to be when it, Reefer Madness was going mm-hmm. on. They wanted to make it out that if you use marijuana uh, or if uh, people used marijuana, that was going to allow the black men to steal the white women from the white men. And that was going to allow the, the Mexicans, the dirty Mexicans at the time. They even said that. Yeah, they would say it in publication. You know, uh, uh, the dirty Mexicans uh, to come over and, and take your land and take your jobs and take your women. It, it was all about scare tactics. It wasn't even called marijuana. It was called cannabis. Mm-hmm. And then they changed its name to marijuana to sound really scary. scary. Yeah. yeah. Yes, to sound Hispanic. To sound Hispanic. And to, to use the inherent racism that, that we still are experiencing somewhat in this nation. Well, and then once I don't want to say somewhat. We're still experienced. Well, and then when they, when the Civil Rights um, Act was signed in 1964, and they were trying to figure out, okay, well, maybe let's try and figure out a way to criminalize it based on, based on race, and mm-hmm. and so they're they're using it as a tool to incarcerate minorities, um, which is not right, by the way. So, uh, so so that's what it's turned into, um, and and in my opinion. Uh, if we if we want to talk about uh, the ba- the negative effects of criminalizing drug use, uh, just look at our prison systems. Look at our full prisons. Look at our empty households, and look at our families that don't have the parents that they need to have. Exactly, and for a plant. Right, and 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 I think if we want to really oh, work I, on. Oh. I, I do want to touch. I mentioned that it's a plant. That's why the pharmaceutical. We, you were talking about the pharmaceutical. That's why the pharmaceutical industry is not interested in legalizing it. Because you can grow it on the side of the road. Mm-hmm. It, it is a weed. Yes. Um, and, and it can grow in most conditions on the planet. Yes. So that's why they're, because you can grow it in your bathtub. You can grow it in a closet. You, that's why they don't want to legalize it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's too easy to access for mm-hmm. the regular folk while a yeah. lot of the synthetic drugs. And control it. Right. Mm-hmm. And because uh, the, the FDA controls it, um, there's all sorts of a, a Department of Transportation that controls um, other uh, ingredients that go into a lot of pharmaceuticals, so it's. And I think that there should be some controls. Uh, oh, do, yeah! Don't get me wrong. Ca- cannabis, we, um, well, I think if there we should can, definitely be controls. We can get there to regulated where we at least and list uh, the ingredients and exactly how much, say, TB, uh, THC or CBD that you're taking in. You yes. Know? Yes, I'm not for just all free for all or anything with exactly. with legalizing medical marijuana, but yeah. Um, it, it, you if, have to I, list the ingredients on a pack of cigarettes, right? Or a bottle of alcohol. Yep. I don't know about a pack of cigarettes. They I used to. Okay. They I, used I don't to. smoke, I, so I, I, I don't know. They, I think that they may have done away with it. But a bottle of alcohol, you're definitely going to have an ingredients list on the back of that. Yeah. 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 And and but 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 back to the whole criminalization, decriminalization. I, I think we could take a look at what Portugal's been doing. Um, I think they decriminalized somewhere in the mid-90s a lot of what's considered hard drugs, and their drug addiction issues and problems and incarcerations have dropped dramatically. Yeah, because they went from an incarceration system to mm-hmm. a treatment system. Exactly. Yeah. And if we want to, if we really want to work to make sure that our prisons aren't over full, over, or overflowing, if we want to make sure that um, someone who, you know, they, they've had a bad couple of years and they're not the best at coping with things and they turn to drugs and, 
you know, they've got a problem now. Like, let's not just let's not throw them in prison. Let's help right. them overcome the problem. Right. And well, the problem, the, the, the obstacle we have to deal with with that are the people who own the prisons mm-hmm. and the shareholders of the prisons. Yes. Because they want those prisons to be full because they make money off of that. Yeah. Yeah. They do. Yeah. It's, it's the prison lobby. It's the pharmaceutical lobby. It's all sorts of, um, frankly, not particularly transparent industries uh, that are... Or, Industries that we don't know a whole lot about because um, we're not privy to what they donate to uh, uh, the, the representatives that that we have. Um, and like we said, there are many dark channels into how people can can give money. So, but now there's actually judges that are going to prison because it was proven that they were taking payoffs to oh, get yeah. more people in those prisons. Mm-hmm. They were taking payoffs from the prison. Uh, to get more people in those prisons. So they were just throwing the book at people for little to no criminal activity and, and throwing them in prison. And then they were getting, the judge was getting paid for that. Hmm. And now he's going to go to prison. So yeah, that's quite nice. But how well, many, and, but if, sad. if that's one, but sad. Or, I mean, let's think about it's it. Five, it's probably happening by the thousands. Yeah, but let's think about that. I mean, yes, it's nice that we've kind of uncovered that, but it's sad to think that um, to some degree, uh, our judicial system is not working for us, you know. That's right. that's that's a little bit scary. But and, and so maybe we need more, a few more checks and balances in in those regards to make we sure that we need a whole lot more checks and balances. Um, and, and I think that we need less laws for arbitrary things for for nonviolent crimes. Mm-hmm. Um, we need to stop trying to incarcerate as many people as we can. But that goes to the education to incarceration pipeline. Mm-hmm. They they want this to happen. They have designed this to happen. Yeah. So how do we get around that? How do we nip that in the bud? I think we, we touched on it earlier, opportunities. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I, I know that in the city of St. Louis, they have pretty good uh, like summer work programs for students. Um, so I would like to see more, um, more programs for that. And, and I think most of those... Uh, most of those programs, and uh, someone's going to correct me if, if I'm wrong here, I'm sure, that uh, the city want, the city offers uh, jobs through, um, through like the parks department or the forestry or something like that, where you're not making a ton of money over the summer as a 16-year-old, but you at least have the opportunity to have your hands busy with something else as opposed to maybe sitting around or just being out of your house and you get caught up in something um, that you shouldn't get caught up in. And and so we used to go creek walking and then we'd find somewhere to to maybe vandalize mm -hmm. or cause a little disruption. Yeah. 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 And so I I really think something to do with our idle hands. Exactly. Yes. And, and so I, I think the, the, there's a lot of uh, opportunity for, local at the local level to really um make sure that those opportunities are are around and funded and publicized so that people actually know about them um and i think one of the one of the things that i really like about the one uh the program in the city of st louis is that uh they help kids um get bank accounts and teach them like okay you made this money put it away save it so that there needs to be more of that yes there needs to be more real preparation for the real world. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's not a whole lot of that in our teach-to-test system. 
I don't know. I mean, when I was in high school, there was an adult living class that every student had to take. I don't know if that's around well, we anymore. Had, we had a whole lot of things then that I don't think that they have anymore. Civics class, mm-hmm. you know, uh, uh, debate class, and, and all these other things. We had a public speaking class mm-hmm. um, that was, I believe, a requirement, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. Uh, or maybe it was half a, half this, half that. And, you know, half the year you did the public speaking thing, and the other half. But they don't, I don't know, but I don't believe that they have a whole lot of that because now they're sticking with math, English, uh, you know, the, the basics. The, the core, I mean, the core, and, that's, and, the, the and they have to. Core. Yeah. Well, and they have to stick with that because there are, obviously, the Department of Education throws out um, uh, requirements for mm. graduation and stuff. But, uh, but yeah, I would, I would really like to see, and this goes back to my, one of my biggest pushes is properly funding education so that we can have those extra, I don't want to call them extras because they are, in a, in a way, they are essential. They're essential to becoming full, well-rounded adults. Yeah. And, um, but yeah, I go back to having the civics classes, um, the debates, the public speaking, so that you develop those critical thinking skills. Yeah, I, I think that's what they're, they're not quite working on as much lately is critical thinking. Mm-hmm. I think there's so much, um, you know, just teach to test and, and curriculum Right. Thinking, and, and, and you not get, as much critical thinking. Right, and you do get a lot of critical thinking in the science classes, but it's not, it, it's on specific things that are in the textbook. It's not, okay, here's, here's someone's argument. Sit and think about this for 10 minutes, 20 minutes a day, however long you yeah. get, and really critically think about based on what you know or do some research and try and figure out, okay, does this person, is this person making a lot of sense? Are there other arguments that would um, either complement it or debunk it? And there's, there's so much that uh, I, I think kids can, can gain from, like you said, being in a civics class or a debate class um, or even taking like philosophy um, yeah. that I, I really think that uh, would really benefit um, benefit us as a society. We need a whole lot more philosophers. We need a whole lot more scientists, mm-hmm. um, and we need a whole lot more people willing to to broaden their their spectrum and mm-hmm. broaden their their frame of thought. Um, and, and I think that that's starting to happen. I think that we are trying to to elevate the voices of those people right here on Next Gen Dems. Uh, I think that that uh, you have been a wonderful guest. And we're going to start wrapping this thing up. All so right. if you could, Katie, tell everybody where to find you, how to find you, and give them that, that all-important contribution link um, to, to get involved. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me on your program. I think this is a wonderful opportunity to come and speak about issues in a very casual and open format. Thank and you. so I'm uh, very happy that um, you afforded me the opportunity. So thank you very much. Not a problem. Um, <laughs> and, and it was like talking to a friend for a couple of hours. That was, that was what was uh, so nice about getting the idea to do this. So, um, but for those of you out there listening and watching, uh, you can find me at Katie Geppert for Congress. That's K-A-T-Y-G-E-P-P-E-R-T for Congress.com. I have a Facebook page, and that's just Katie for Congress. So K-A-T-Y for Congress, and that's on Facebook. And uh, that's, I believe that's also my Twitter handle, Katie for Congress. And if you want to donate, again, for all those out there who are listening, if you can donate at least, if you can donate $100, if we're averaging 1,000 listeners or likes, 
um, that would be what a hundred thousand dollars. Hundred thousand dollars, big old jolt to my campaign, and I'd really, really appreciate it. Um, and if you want to do it, if you if you can do it by the end of uh, by the end of March, I can get that all reported into the uh, the FEC. So uh, the best way to do that is to go to my donate page on my website again, katiegepperforcongress.com. Click on donate; it'll take you to Act Blue. Perfect, perfect. All right. I do appreciate you being on the show, and that's exactly right. I wanted this to be conversational. I wanted it to be laid back. I just wanted it to be an opportunity to shine the spotlight on the many great candidates that we have that are running. The next generation of Democrats is coming up, and I'm one of them, Curtis Wild. I am running in District 107, which is this district right here, with Rendezvous Cafe right in the heart of it, 217 South Main Street. We appreciate them for hosting us so far. A majority of our shows, except for some of our travel shows that we've done. Um, again, you are listening to Next Gen Dems. You can check us out on Twitter. You can check us out on Facebook, YouTube, iTunes, and podcast.com. And this show will be up in just a couple days. And uh, Katie, thank you so much for coming on. Katie Geppard, running for Congress, District 3, against Blaine Luke DeMeyer. Yes, sir. This was Next Gen Dems, and I was your host, Curtis Wild.